Coming up on Stu Does America. Happy Earth Day, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Woo. And for anyone who thinks I was even remotely sincere with that greeting, my SUV is in the parking lot running with the air conditioner on for when I get done here at work. It's not for a couple of hours still, but it's warm here in Texas, and I need that car nice and cool. But for the rest of us, Alex Epstein joins us to engage in my hobby of pissing off environmentalists for funsies. And we talked to Chris Kobach about why the president can't seem to find his way into opening up the borders completely during a pandemic. What is he doing? He's such a hate monger. Head over to YouTube, Facebook, Pluto TV, or your favorite podcast platforms and find us every day for free. You can shoot us a rating and review where applicable. Something simple and timeless, perhaps. It's great, you know, whatever. We have over 2,500 reviews in only 50 episodes, which, if my math is correct, comes out to 1 million reviews per episode. Good job, everybody. That's a great performance. Nice work, nice work. And if you'd like to do the truly green thing, green meaning money, not environmental protection, then consider a subscription to Blaze TV, where you'll get exclusive access to this show and tons of others. Just head to blazetv.com slash stew and enter the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show and it'll knock 30 bucks off your price. If there's one chance I never pass up, it's to relentlessly mock climate change alarmists. So get ready for the Stu Does America 50th Anniversary Earth Day Spectacular! Stu Does America. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Stu Does America 50th Anniversary Earth Day Spectacular. We're so glad you're here. We're celebrating our 50th episode anniversary by continuing our lasting tradition of Earth murder that you've all come to love and respect. And that's why on this Earth Day, we're going to spend some time looking back at some of the great moments in environmental history. I will warn you, some of this may be disturbing, but it definitely won't be as disturbing as ABC's Earth Day special that aired on April 22nd, 1990. You don't know me. I'm not surprised. It's hard to recognize me anymore. Oh, once I was so fresh, so green. My skies were so blue. I was pristine. I'm Mother Earth, and I'm sick, and it's all your fault. Look, I I know Robin Williams is no longer with us, but that sucked. I'm honestly amazed the guy lasted as long as he did after watching that. Now, it's not always easy to know if environmentalists' predictions are actually hugely embarrassing mega failures or if they're just complete lies used to threaten people into whatever remix of Marxism they're offering up today. As Stephen Schneider, a lead author of the Marquis Report on Global Warming from the UN's IPCC, once so helpfully explained, quote, to capture the public imagination, we have to offer up some scary scenarios, make simplified, dramatic statements, and little mention of any doubts one might have. Each of us has to decide the right balance between being effective and being honest. Yeah, you know, that balance between honesty and all of the other things one needs to consider when telling the public about science has always been such a tough thing to figure out. The early days of Earth Day featured a level of bravery that allowed the environmentalists of the day to make specific predictions tied to specific dates that would allow them to specifically fall on their faces. 
1972 book, Limits to Growth, which supposedly sold 30 million copies and killed a hell of a lot of trees doing it. We were told to uh, that we would run out of gold by 1981, mercury by 1985, silver by 1985, tin by 1987, no zinc by 1990, no copper by 1993, no lead by 1993, no natural gas by 1993. That one's really amazing. And no aluminum by 2021. Amazingly, we still have all of those things here on Earth. Now, technically, I guess there is still a chance we run out of aluminum. After all, they still have eight months before the prediction expires. And after what's happened the last couple of months, I mean, I'm not going to rule anything out, honestly. But judging by my supply of Reynolds wrap, it's not looking good for them. In January 1970, Life magazine wrote, by 1985, air pollution will have reduced the amount of sunlight reaching Earth by one half Shockingly, people were able to get decent tans in 1985. Earth Day ecologist Kenneth E.F. Watt wasn't so worried about global warming back in 1970. He said, quote, if uh, present trends continue, the world will be 11 degrees colder by the year 2000. This is about twice what it would take to put us in an ice age. Oh, my gosh. You know, it wasn't until the early 90s when everyone started talking about the exact opposite, like Michael Oppenheimer and Robert H. Boyle in their wonderful book, Dead Heat. By the mid-90s, they predicted, quote, the greenhouse effect would be desolating the heartlands of North America and Eurasia with horrific drought causing crop failures and food riots. A continent-wide black blizzard of prairie topsoil will stop traffic on interstates, strip paint from houses, and shut down computers. In actuality, computers did actually kind of shut down in the mid-90s, but the cause was not the greenhouse effect. It was Windows 95. One of the founders of Earth Day was Senator Gaylord Nelson, who warned in something called Look Magazine that by 1995, somewhere between 75 and 85 percent of all species of living animals would be extinct. Instead, we've increased the number of species by 17 million percent, mostly in the form of breeds of dogs that end in doodle. It's true. I know it's hard to believe all these predictions didn't come true. I know it's, it's, it's shocking, especially when Earth Day and hardcore science are so closely related. For example, the famous collaboration between renowned scientists Dr. Emmett Brown and Dr. Doogie Hauser. There's hope for you yet. There's hope for all of us because we know what to do. It's all here. It's not a secret. It's not a mystery. Isn't it amazing that we humans know what to do to save ourselves and yet we don't act on it? What's wrong with us? Have we gone mad? So what can we do? Get informed. Get active. Help her get well. <laughs> so what can we do? Doogie Hauser. I mean, Neil Patrick Harris. It's improved. Neil's, he's improved his performances, I think, since back in the day. One of the greatest renewable resources we have for horrible environmental predictions was environmentalist Stanford professor and all around crazy person Paul Ehrlich. In 1970, he warned, quote, in 10 years, all important animal life in the sea will be extinct. Large areas of coastline will have to be evacuated because of the stench of dead fish. I think he later revised that one, actually, after he just took a shower and the stench went away. In 1969, Ehrlich said, I would take even money that England would not exist in the year 2000. Unfortunately for his gambling habit, that kind of Brexit mm, never really happened. 
Ehrlich wasn't exactly an optimist in 1968. He said the battle to feed humanity is over. In the 1970s, the world will undergo famines. Uh, hundreds of millions of people are going to starve to death in spite of any crash programs embarked upon now. Population control is the only answer. Not exactly a delightful personality. A lot of swiping left going on for poor Paul. He said the hunger would be so bad that 65 million Americans would die of starvation by 1989. And by 1999, the U.S. population would decline to 22.6 million. He only missed that one by a shade over 300 million. But the Earth Day that we have here isn't just about predicting things that don't happen and then acting like you were right all along. I mean, that's a huge, huge part of it, but not the only part. It's also about horrible acting and even worse singing. What are we going to tell our grandchildren? If I let that note finish, the earth would have opened up and swallowed the entire studio whole. So we'll, we'll stop it right there. Earth Day is also the time to craft imaginative fantasies about how to get rid of human beings to help good old Mother Nature. Like this classic from Ted Turner. We'll have eight degrees, we'll be eight degrees hotter in 10, not 10, but in 30 or 40 years. And basically none of the crops will grow. Most of the people will have died and the rest of us will be cannibals. Civilization will have broken down. What the few people are left will be living in a, in, in a failed state like Somalia or Sudan. I like how it goes to cannibalism or it could be Somalia or Sudan. Cannibalism, Somalia, Sudan. I don't know. Look, I think maybe for the tourism brochure, you just go with better than cannibalism. Just throwing that out there. If you're Somalia, if you're Sudan, you can take that one for free. But Earth Day is not just about wishing for the sweet, sweet taste of human flesh. It's about recognizing that human beings are the problem. We are the enemy. We are a problem to get rid of. That's why on this Earth Day, it's important to understand who environmentalists really are. While you and I are grieving over the destruction of a global economy, this is what so many environmentalists have dreamed of for years. As ecologist Penti Lincola said, Everything we have developed over the last 100 years should be destroyed. Our buddy Michael Oppenheimer of the Environmental Defense Fund outlined the real threat of all those poor people in developing countries. Quote, the only hope for the world is to make sure there is not another United States. We can't let other countries have the same amount of number of cars, the amount of industrialization we have in the U.S. We have to stop these third world countries right where they are. Great idea. Uh, maybe every country can just be a third world country like we're coming up on now. That may be even better. Wouldn't that be great? Environmentalist thinkers usually save their worst for children. Ecologist and Cornell professor Lamont Cole said, quote, to feed a starving child is to exacerbate the world population problem. 
starting to feel a little dark. Okay, a little dark. Let's take a break from this Earth Day message from a guy uh, to have him kind of deliver something here. I think you'll appreciate it. It's a it's a man you all know, you all love, and a guy who was really hoping you forgot about this. Will Smith. Every time you put a paint can in the trash can, you take a piece of the world from the next man. All together, I need your help in the worst way. Let's all take a part of the cause here on Earth Day. Why, why is E.T. in there? I don't even understand. I like those kids at the end, too. Can we see them again? Pull up the kids. <laughs> they look as horrified as I feel. Uh, what is... Look, every time you take a, pant can, a paint can, put it in a trash can, you're taking a year off the life of the next man. Remember that. Teach your kids, okay? And it's not just our ability to put food on the table that pisses environmentalists off. Think of what we're going through today. Think about your life right now. Hundreds of thousands have died globally already from COVID-19. But this is the sort of event that the extreme environmentalist left has always hoped for. From Dave Foreman, founder of the environmentalist group Earth First, quote, phasing out the human race will solve every problem on Earth, social and environmental. Prince Philip felt the same way. Quote, if I were reincarnated, I would want I would wish to be returned to Earth as a killer virus. Mm. to lower human population levels. Effective. No word if Philip has changed his mind considering his son actually was infected with COVID-19. Earth First picked another disease to fantasize about. If radical environmentalists were to invent a disease to bring human populations back to sanity, it would probably be something like AIDS. Huh. And John Davis of Earth First also outlined his love affair with infectious disease. Quote, I suspect that eradicating smallpox was wrong. It played an important part in balancing ecosystems. See, guys, the glass, it's, it's half full. It's the power of positive thinking, everybody. Modern day environmentalism has always had an element of dismissing human life and sometimes even cheering for its demise. It's sad, but it's true. And it's totally ruining our wonderful celebration. I hope today's 50th anniversary Earth Day Spectacular message has helped you understand the true meaning of this glorious, made-up, anti-human holiday. But just in case you still had questions, here's one more explanation from rapper Ice-T. The true fact is we're living on overkill. You bought a new house, it's on a landfill. The ice sting, the fish die, so what's left? Your next breath could cause your death. Check. You might ask yourself, why is he so angry about saving the earth? I don't know. It's a good question. But what I would really like to know is who thought it was a good idea to feature that lady dancing to iced tea at the end? I, I love this lady. Whoever she is, or sadly, let's be honest, more likely who she was, I hold her up as the only good thing ever associated with Earth Day. Because if Earth Day inspires the sort of singing, acting, and rapping, that we featured today, maybe the Earth is kind of overrated after all. Who does America? You know what? You're sitting around the house a lot. Uh, you might be having one of these things where you're quarantined. Uh, the the economy's coming down on your head. I, I get when I stay home too long. I get, I just wind up basically sleeping the day away. You need your energy. You need Black Rifle Coffee Company. 
They're a veteran-owned and operated premium small-batch roast-to-order coffee company for people who love America. They love America. They import only the highest quality beans from around the world and always roast their coffees to order for you uh, because they want to make sure it's, it's the freshest thing that you have. And, you know, this is the time to treat yourself, I, I, to be honest. If you love coffee, if you love really good coffee, Black Rifle Coffee, it, it just get some. Get some. They're going to deliver it right to your house. They were made for this time because they, they already knew. This, they were already delivering coffee. They don't, they don't need you to go out to the store to get it. They're going to send it right to your door. And they have the greatest uh, plan. If you love coffee, Black Rifle Coffee Club is the way to go because you can choose the amount and blends that you crave, and they offer it to you at a special discounted price, shipped free directly to your home or office every month. This added convenience allows you to keep doing what you're doing. You do the work. And they'll ship the coffee. Plus, you'll get a discount. It's a great, it's a great program. Wake up to America's coffee by going, going to uh, blackriflecoffee.com slash stew. Blackriflecoffee.com slash stew. Make sure you enter the uh, discount code stew because that's how they know you like the stupid show. Plus, you'll receive 20% off your first order of any coffee products. It's blackriflecoffee.com slash stew. Happy to welcome to the program a guest you may remember from the old wonderful world of Stu Days. He's president and founder of the Center for Industrial Progress, author of The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, and has the uh, Human Flourishing Project podcast on his resume as well. Alex Epstein, great to see you again, man. Thanks for coming on. Hey, good to see you again, Stu. Uh, I'm thinking about today. It's Earth Day. Um, and I, 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 I often come back to something that you described. I remember you describing in the book. Um, And it is the idea that essentially praising the earth, worshiping the earth, wanting to do things that are good for, quote unquote, the earth should not be a goal of ours. Our goals should be how to make the earth work best for people to survive um, and to flourish. Uh, And that attitude, especially on Earth Day, I feel like is one that is completely ignored. Yeah, I mean, I think you uh, you nailed it. So you know, the the idea on Earth Day is usually we've screwed up the Earth and we need to repent. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, this year it's oh, the Earth has finally gotten better since we haven't been doing anything. Mm. And I think both of those reflect an anti-human perspective on the Earth, because if you're looking at the Earth from the perspective of what I would call human flourishing, human beings living to their highest potential, for the last 200 years, not coincidentally, as we've been using more and more fossil fuels, Earth has been becoming a much, much better place to live. If you think about how nourishing is the planet now compared to 200 years ago, 100 years ago, 50 years ago. It's much more nourishing place right now. You need to spend relatively little time and you're surrounded by abundant and if you want it, healthy food. If you think about things like clean water, what was that like 200 years ago? What is it like today? Even if you think about our safety from climate, we're 50 times safer from climate in terms of climate related deaths than we were 100 years ago. So life is getting better and better and it's because we've transformed the earth overall to be a much better place for human beings. Doesn't mean we've done it perfectly, but if you don't recognize that the earth is a much better place, then you've got an anti-human view of the earth that re- that regards all of our changes to earth as bad just because it views human change as bad. Yeah, and that's a scary thing. I I don't think people put it, you know, people don't think of it that way, right? They think of, 
hey, the, you know, the, the trees are beautiful and fields are beautiful and parking lots are not beautiful, you know, and they kind of come at it from that attitude of development being negative. Yet there's not a single one of them that would give up the developments that have come from that uh, advancement uh, in exchange to live in a field because there's plenty of fields around. They could go live in them if they wanted to. Everybody is seeing as we're going through this now losing access to all of these innovations that have come from fossil fuels and essentially built modern civilization are things that people are learning that they really do miss. Yeah, if you think about what it means to have a pro-human perspective on the earth, it doesn't mean make everything into a parking lot because why would you do that? There are, but you need to make a lot of things into a parking lot <laughs> yeah. because how are you going to get there? So there's this there's this caricature of a pro-development perspective that you just want to develop everything almost randomly, as if you know you want to tear up every flower bed. You want to just again you want a parking lot everywhere. Whereas, no, the idea is we're human beings. We want to live to our fullest potential. And that means we want to enjoy certain parts of nature, preserve certain parts of nature. But a lot of nature, we have to dramatically modify to either neutralize threats to our lives or to create new resources or to create new opportunities. And I think in general, the human species, particularly those of us who have lived under societies that respect individual freedom and individual rights, we have a huge amount to be proud of. Of on Earth Days in general, I think this year we should, if anything, be repenting for being so willing to shut down our society so quickly and not think about what that means for so many individuals' lives. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, one of the things I've always loved about your perspective, it's, it's really positive. It's understanding and seeing the world, I think, in a really different way. And I think right now people are not feeling very positive. But here we are on Earth Day. Here's a time where the Earth... You know, uh, we're putting it in very generic, you know, cinema like terms. The Earth is fighting back right now. Like we're getting our ass kicked by the Earth at this particular moment. Um, and yeah. I can't imagine what it would be like if we were trying to fight off a pandemic like COVID-19 without things that come from fossil fuels, without the energy, without the delivery services, without the, you know, the plastics that go into, you know, uh, protection for our, our frontline health workers. All of these things, I think, get completely taken for granted in a moment like this. And, and it would be almost impossible for us to fight this off if we didn't have these things uh, working for us. I mean, Stu, one thing I like and don't like about being on your show is that you understand the ideas so clearly. I almost don't have a way of elaborating <laughs> once you uh, once you say something. Uh, but I'll just so I'll add one thing because I think you nailed it in terms of not appreciating the role of fossil fuels. One one thing to appreciate, particularly in a medical kind of of situation, is how much time that we have to think about and to innovate with regard to infectious disease and more broadly threats to our health. Where does that come from? Why didn't people have that 200 years ago, even 100 years ago? It's because they were spending most of their time overcoming the basic challenges of nature, namely the need to nourish ourselves and the need to protect ourselves from even the most basic threats of nature, leaving aside something like you know a novel coronavirus, which we had no clue how to deal with. And what's happened is fossil-fueled machines 
machines have allowed us to do so much productive work in so little time that we have to spend very little time, relatively speaking, on the basic necessities. And we can spend huge amounts of time on fighting something like COVID-19. And it's important to recognize this is not a freedom of time we can take for granted. As soon as we start making energy more expensive, we have less ability to use machine power and we have less time to innovate in all ways, including in the field of medicine. Hmm. Um, yeah, because I, I keep coming back to that point, too. You had mentioned earlier the, the idea of shutting down kind of our economy um, as we're fighting this off. And, you know, it may, it may be appropriate for some time, though we can't do it forever. Right. We need to be able to get back on our feet. And, and when you try to explain that to someone, it, it, you, they make you sound like you just want old people to die and you want uh, Exxon to line their pockets a little bit more on their stock price. Economy versus shutdown, I think, is a bad framing of this. Uh, because it's not the economy we're talking about, is it? I mean, this is bigger than this. This is essentially our civilization. And if we let it go away, we're going to have a lot, a lot more problems to deal with. Yeah, I mean, this is a big topic, but I've been podcasting a lot about this on my, my podcast, Power Hour. And just to say, I'll just give you my perspective on what is the purpose of government. The way it's viewed right now is the purpose of government is to, quote, save lives by controlling us as much as the government deems necessary. My view and I believe the American view is that the purpose of government is to liberate lives by protecting our rights. And so what that means in the context of a pandemic is the government should absolutely test people and isolate people when they actually have the disease. And that's a legitimate function of government. That's protecting our rights. But it is not a legitimate function of government to say, hey, we're completely ignorant of this. We screwed up testing. And so we're going to lock all of you inside your homes for an indefinite amount of time and not and the opposite of liberating you. We're not going to give you the freedom to pursue your livelihood. We're not going to allow you to make judgments. We're even going to make you do stupid things like send all the college kids home, including people with the disease, and then be around their vulnerable parents. And we're not going to let you outside in the sunlight. It's so irrational. So what if you if your view is liberating lives as the purpose of government, then you unleash all the intelligence of Americans, both as producers of medical care and also just as individuals dealing with the disease, and you get a totally different uh, kind of outcome. So I think the whole response to this is a totally un-American response. It's, it's definitely been rocky. Uh, let me give you, um, this is maybe a little bit of low-hanging fruit here, but uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, okay. uh, she, uh, she tweeted the other day when oil was crashing and going through the floor, um, I, you just can't love it enough. I can't, she wound up deleting the tweet, but she was very excited about the oil industry going down because mm -hmm. she views it as evil. She's put together, and they are going to try to push um, on the other side of this uh, pandemic situation, they're going to try to push through all of these Green New Deal type of programs because they're going to see it as an opportunity to to gain power. Right. They're going to see this as an opportunity to uh, to be able mm -hmm. to control our lives a little bit more. H how do you reason with someone who sees that in a favorable light? Yeah, there's a, a couple of elements there. I mean, you think about the only reason you'd be happy about the destruction of the oil industry is if it was actually being outcompeted. And I think that would be fantastic. Somebody figured mm -hmm. out how to how to use unreliable sunlight and transform it into reliable, low cost energy for billions of people. That would be fantastic. There's nothing resembling that. There's no new developments. What's happened is because we have basically 
I mean, I'm being harsh, but we've basically imprisoned the population in their homes. We've stopped most activity. We've stopped most productive activity that uses machines. And we've stopped most personal activity that uses machines, or at least a lot of it. And therefore, energy use has gone down. And that's the primary reason why that market is crashing. So to celebrate that or to think of that as something good, that everyone's productivity is being stopped and their lives are being stopped, that's a horrific perspective. But it's a fitting perspective, because if you think of Ocasio-Cortez, she's advocating the Green New Deal, which basically amounts to let's make let's mandate unreliable, super expensive energy and outlaw fossil fuels and nuclear. Well, if you did that, then American industry couldn't function. We could never compete on a global level. And then as individuals, all the things that we use machine power for, you know, whether it's transportation, medicine, all those things would be way more expensive, uh, way more out of reach for a lot of people. And so the corona recession slash depression, that in a sense is a mild preview of the green depression that a Green New Deal would bring about. Mm. Gosh, that's that's frightening. Um, let me hit you with this last one here. Um, we started the show today kind of going through Earth Day predictions from the past. And I've always found that to be a really interesting topic because so many environmentalists mm-hmm. have warned us that our overuse of these resources, uh, all, you know, gold and silver and mercury and, and, and everything's going to be gone. We're not going to have any of these resources left. All these all these things that we count on are going to go away. It's the constant message from environmentalists and has been from the beginning. We look back at Earth Day and you see this message just, you know, it's 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 basically the only thing they talk about. Um, and here we are mm-hmm. now, you know, 40, 50 years later, and we are we never have run out of any of these things. Um, we are, as you point out, flourishing as a species until about, you know, six or seven weeks ago. Um, and it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like environmentalists ever have to pay the price for their incorrect predictions. They just are, are left without any responsibility for all the things they tried to scare us into in the past. That just can't be the right way to handle it. Yeah, and I think one thing is that when somebody makes incorrect predictions over and over, we need to question the assumptions that are causing them to make the bad predictions. Bad predictions are invariably based on bad assumptions. And so in this case, there are two related false assumptions about how the Earth works. One is that the Earth it naturally gives us a limited but sufficient amount of resources. And this is why you always have the this view that, oh, we're going to deplete things, we're going to mm-hmm. run out. It's viewed as, well, Mother Nature gave us this fixed pile, and then we're, you know, if it's oil, we're, we're sucking up the oil with the straw uh, too quickly. Uh, but that's not at all how resources work. Resources are created. Human beings take raw matter and energy, and we transform it into value. Oil wasn't a value until we transformed it. So one thing is people don't recognize that resources are created. The other thing is they don't recognize that nature is inherently threatening. They treat nature as, oh, it's safe until we screw it up. And so there's always this expectation that, oh, if we put more CO2 in the atmosphere, that, for example, that, oh, everything's going to come crashing down. And in reality, nature is inherently dangerous. And human beings using ingenuity can protect ourselves from dangers of nature and also any man-made dangers. And so over time, what happens is the prediction is we're running out of resources and we're creating these dangers. And 
they can't see that we're actually creating new resources and neutralizing all kinds of dangers. Mm. Nobody lays it out better than Alex Epstein. He's author of a great book, if you haven't read it, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, also Human Flourishing Project. And he's got so many things going on. You can't even, what's the best place for people to find you? Is it on Twitter? What's the best place? I would say go to industrialprogress.com and sign up for our mailing list. That's the kind of clearinghouse of everything. Perfect. Go there. Do that. It's, a, it's great. Alex Epstein, thanks so much for being on the program. Thanks, too. All right. Uh, back in just a second. Happy Earth Day. <laughs> Flipped over to Dave Rubin's Instagram page. He's posted a headline from New York Post about Bill de Blasio, who started this tip line so you can tell on your neighbors if they get too close to each other. Headline from New York Post, de Blasio's social distancing tip line flooded with penis photos and Hitler memes. So you're doing a good job in quarantine, everybody. Uh, Let me give you a couple quick things. This is the government being annoying. International edition this time, though, so it's not you. Thank God. In Australia, they caught three people on the roof with infrared cameras drinking hanging out together, they were able to shame them into, into leaving the, uh, the building with an announcement, this building is surrounded by police, we need you to return to the ground floor. Uh, and they went down there and actually got arrested. Do you believe this is happening? In Japan, what's one of the safest things you can do right now? Go outside, look at the trees, look at the flowers, enjoy nature a little bit. It's Earth Day, right? Well, in Japan, they had this nice field of, uh, of, uh, of tulips. People went out to look at them. What happened? Well, they they gathered too closely and they had to do something extreme. What did they do? They chopped off all the tops of the tulips, 100,000 tulips. They cut the heads off so that people couldn't enjoy the nice, pretty flowers. It's like something that would happen in a in a kid's movie where the evil villain ruins all the flowers so the little girl can't enjoy them. This is uh, this is where we are. But luckily, this time, not in America. It's an international edition. You can be happy that this time, at least this one thing isn't happening to you. Back in a second. It would have been impossible even as recently as a few months ago to imagine a scenario in which the SAT or ACT would actually cancel all of their tests for the spring. Fortunately, CLT has been preparing a solution for years. Rather than canceling any tests due to COVID-19, CLT has tripled the testing dates available for this spring. Most importantly, they are making the CLT available to students remotely from home. The classic learning test has been used by tens of thousands of students in hundreds of colleges and provides the most accurate and rigorous measure of academic formation, accomplishment, and potential. Uh, Better tests create better students. I think we all know that. And CLT is doing this right now to register for the April 25th official college entrance exam or the April 29th CLT 10, which is the classic learning test alternative to the PSAT. Please visit CLTExam.com, CLTExam.com. Both exams can be taken from the comfort of your home. This is the way to do this. This is built uh, for this time. CLT, uh, I mean, you can do it from home. This is the right way to get this done right now, and it's a better test anyway. CLTExam.com, CLTExam.com. Happy to welcome Chris Kobach to the program. He is the former Secretary of State for Kansas and a current uh, Senate candidate to replace uh, Pat Roberts in the Senate. Chris, thanks so much for coming on the program. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, We are told by the media 
uh, Chris, that Donald Trump uh, is restricting immigration uh, into the United States during a pandemic solely because he's wanted to do this the whole time and he doesn't like people who look different than him. Uh, is that the case? <laughs> no, no. The, the reasons for what he is doing are so powerful right now. Um, we all know the numbers. In the last four weeks, there have been 22 million Americans who have filed new unemployment claims. So you've got 22 new Americans added to the unemployment rolls in addition to those who are already on the unemployment rolls. Uh, as we start reopening the economy, you can't have a a, a large number of foreign workers competing with those Americans for those jobs, displacing Americans from those jobs. It's in times like this of, of a national economic crisis that we have to put our own citizens first. Every country should be putting their own citizens first and saying, well, we have to get our own citizens employed first. And, you know, the numbers are pretty significant. Uh, the president's initial executive order, it looks like it's going to apply to the 1.1 million green card holders that come in every year. Uh, roughly about 0.7 million of those green card holders go into the job market. Market. So that's going to open up, you know, almost a million spots for uh, U.S. citizens uh, as everybody's looking for work. And I'm hopeful that the president will follow it up with a second executive order dealing with the 1.4 million temporary guest workers who come into this country. Uh, there's just so much need to put Americans first right now. And I think President Trump's making good on a promise that he made in 2016 of, of putting Americans first and American interests first. I noticed that President um, you know, spent a lot of time focusing on the sort of jobs uh, part of, of the equation here, which is really important. And obviously, these are really extreme uh, times. Um, I, I think, too, though, he and I haven't heard him highlight this as much, but it's got to be at least as important of part of the uh, equation here is that we've got a pandemic going on. Uh, we don't necessarily want to be importing people from anywhere right now. It's no offense to anybody, but this is a serious situation. We need to get it under control before we can move on. That's exactly right. That you you are hitting the nail on the head. There's that there's that second reason um, that the you know I think the, the the reason the president probably emphasized the the jobs in his tweet is that of course even if the pandemic pandemic starts to level out and, and, and starts to dissipate, the jobs problem is going to be with us for many, many months in the future. And we have got to get Americans into a position where they can get those jobs and not be pushed out by foreign workers. Um, I, I as we're going through this whole pandemic situation, um, uh, dealing with it, I think in the, in the United States has been very difficult. But when we look south of our border to the countries collected there, countries that are not as wealthy, countries who have not been doing testing. Uh, we have a report from Ecuador that is saying just one area of Ecuador where normally 1000 people die per month. We have 6700 who have died in two weeks. There are areas south of us that are absolutely out of control. And these are countries that have been told for decades when things get really bad here, go to the U.S. border. I mean, I, I think there's a real formula for a real border crisis coming soon. Do you see it that way? I agree 100%. In fact, I wrote an article about this very issue back in January in my Breitbart column. Uh, we learned that in 2019, there were 12,000 Chinese nationals, just looking at China alone, who snuck into the United States in, in fiscal year 2019. And they continued to sneak in the United States, just looking at China. And of course, we're focused on China because you know that was where the epidemic was, was coming from. Um, but you're absolutely right. Now, it's uh, there are Central and Latin American countries, uh, even South American countries that have significant uh, COVID-19 cases. Well, you have to have, th this makes the case for the president's wall 
uh, exceedingly clear. You have to be able to shut the back door. I mean, the president closed the ports of entry, uh, first to China, then to Europe, and then uh, to our, our southern border and northern border. But that's closing the front door. If Congress leaves the back door wide open, which they have by failing to build President Trump's wall in a timely manner, uh, then we don't have the ability to control who comes into our country. And, and in a time of global pandemic, that is the one of the most important things you have to have right up there next to um, a, a good supply of, of uh, relevant ph pharmaceuticals and, and ventilators and everything else. You have to be able to stop the inflow uh, of, of exposure to the disease or the, the virus, whatever it is we're dealing with. So um, I hope members of Congress will come away with this, come away from this with an understanding that, look, we better get that that border wall finished right away. The, the 400 plus miles that the president's going to have done by the end of this year you know, that's a great start, but we've got a lot more to build. Um, let's shift to the economy here for a second. Um, I, I suspect you have the same feeling that I have, which in general terms, I'm very uncomfortable with the government spending trillions of dollars supporting, you know, uh, all sorts of new programs. And, you know, it makes me very nervous. However, in this situation, it's very understandable. We've basically asked businesses not to open. So it, it makes a lot of sense here. Um, are you worried, though, that we hit a, a point where, uh, A, we may spend so much with so many new programs that it, that it makes us, uh, gives us problems on the insolvency side? Uh, and B, if we get to a point where we're not having these programs active enough and these small businesses are suffering and for that our economy is suffering? Yeah, I'm absolutely worried about both of these problems that you mentioned. Um, you know, looking at the first problem, the 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 level of spending. So it, it absolutely makes sense to stimulate the economy, get some cash into the economy uh, in, in the form of the two trillion dollar stimulus, which is, of course, an unheard of number before. Uh, but what I'm hearing from the left, from Democrats, and even from establishment Republicans, is they want to continue that kind of spending. That 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 should be the new norm uh, in this post-coronavirus uh, era we are now in, apparently. But, and, and that's just wrong. We have to get our spending levels back down as quickly as we can, because uh, for the health of our economy, we cannot be uh, having deficits at this level and accumulating additional debt at this rate. So, yes, it's, I agree with you. you know, we absolutely needed to stimulate the economy with this, this boost, this shot in the arm. But let's not uh, believe for a moment the, the calls from the left that this should now be the new level of spending for the United States. Uh, before we go, we've got about a minute left. Uh, you're running for Senate in, you know, the strangest time in history to be running in an election. I, it's, I mean, you, nobody thought that there would be any other big topic other than this election coming up. And here we are. Uh, how is the race shaping up and how do you see it going? It, it's shaping up well from my perspective. I'm leading in the polls right now in the Republican primary. Um, but it's definitely changed the, the whole landscape of, of political campaigns. You know, debates have been canceled. Parades are canceled. In-person meetings canceled. Fundraising banquets canceled. All the things that you normally think of as part of a campaign have been canceled. And some have been replaced by virtual meetings and, and Facebook Live and things like that. But uh, you can't replace all of those things. And so it'll be really interesting how it, how it affects you know, who the winners and losers are of this changed political landscape. And, and, and we'll 
see. Um, and I'm, I'm also very concerned about calls from the left toward, to move toward all mail balloting, which would be a disaster in terms of voter fraud. So hopefully those calls will be resisted by, by saner minds in Congress, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll get through this. All right. Chris Kobach, he's the former secretary of the state of Kansas and is currently running for a seat in, in the Senate. Chris, thanks so much for coming on the program. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. All right. Back in a second. Quick reminder before we get out of here, the uh, founder of Earth Day killed his girlfriend and then composted her in his closet. But cut the CO2 levels and the composting. Very good for the Earth. Happy Earth Day, everybody. Oh, yeah. I hope you can get back together and kind of hang out at your home and maybe do a little dancing like all the fabulous like her. Yeah, you're dancing like her. Do a little do that dance tonight for the Earth. 